Hey everybody, this is John Swan. And this is Ken Milam. And we're going to be your host today for this special bonus episode of The Hive Jive. <laughs> this bonus episode is brought to you by Wicked Bee. <laughs> okay. I'm back on. Uh, imagine that, guys. It's another random clips bonus episode for you guys. Da, 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 da. I'm sure that just blew out the speakers. <laughs> Apologies from Ken for everybody who uh, doesn't like it when it cracks and pops. That's his fault. Yeah, crack and pop. Um, that's like snap, crackle, pop. That's, that's, that's rice. That's rice. Rice Krispies. Rice Krispie cereal. Yeah, snap, sounded, crackle, and pop. It really sounded like you were going to say rice aroni. <laughs> almost did. I was trying to think, what is it? That's early. I've been up since one. Oh, well. That's been so eight hours ago. This sets the, the tone and the note for everybody for another Random Clips episode for your bonus episode. We did not want you to go too, too long without hearing the uh, sweet, angelic voice of Ken Milam on your radio so, I'm so glad that's happening that way. Lord. <laughs> so we've got some random clips that have been compiled throughout 2019. It's pile. It is a pile of something. Yeah. Um, these have been kind of accumulated throughout 2019, and they could really spread the span the range of, of every episode that we've had out there. But we're going to go through, stitch a few of them together for you guys, and put them out so that you have a little bit of something to listen to between now and next year, just to kind of help bridge that little bit of a gap there. Until then, let's get started with our first random clip. That's what comes out of the bunker. The bunker? Yeah, haven't you seen where they found new tape of of uh, the Beatles, and it's it was in the their basement. Oh yeah, yeah. And they they found and then they put them out and make billions of dollars out of yeah. them. So as we put out the new uh, hive jive tapes from the bunker. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. I'll I did, quit. It's I did early. Have, uh, I've been up early. I did have one of my friends was... Uh, so this is actually something else, too. There are several people, there are several listeners that do not have bees, are not beekeepers, and are avid listeners to the show. And that is extremely flattering. And, yeah, thank you. And we definitely appreciate that. But one of my friends is one of these people. And he loves listening to podcasts and stuff. And he, he was going through and he came across one of the random clips episodes and didn't like he, he kind of tuned out for a minute and wasn't really paying attention. And that record scratch that you guys hear in there, that is the division. That's the breaking point between one clip and the next clip. And those random clips, they literally could have been spread out over months because I'll go through and edit an episode and I might take a tangent out of one of them and I just save it in this folder called random clips. And then the next time we need a filler episode, I might go, and if there's enough in there, I'll pull those random clips, I'll stitch them together, and we'll make a new episode out of them. But between every clip, there's the record scratch kind of noise that goes through. And that tells you that you're going from one clip to the next. And they, they have nothing to do with each other. The topics don't have anything to do with each other. It's just random. And... For you know, he tuned out for just a couple seconds, and then all of a sudden, we were in the middle of some tirade on something. And he's like, Wait, what's going on? Like, what happened? How did where did that even come from? How did you guys get off onto that? What did I miss? Well, you didn't miss anything, it just was a it was a clip change in there where we changed subjects and changed show dates. It's a cliffhanger, yeah. Cliffhanger. <laughs> I also have a folder that this cracks me up, and I don't even remember what's in there now, but I, we were on we were on a kick, I was on a kick for sure. The folder's titled, Things That Should Never Be Said. 
probably let that come out of my mouth. <laughs> for some reason, I have saved these clips in this folder called Things That Should Never Be Said. And I'm like, wow, I, I almost want to know what's in there now. And I'm wondering, like, maybe they should be said at some point and put out there. But I have a feeling that there's a reason <laughs> that they're in that folder. But at the same time, I didn't delete them. I saved them. So, you know, there must be some use for them at some point in the future. You know, do it as they send us, uh, you know, pictures of the commode going the wrong direction or, <laughs> you know, or of the uh, uh, boxing uh, kangaroos or... Now, we need, we need something. <laughs> we need some sort of... Definitely... I want to see a platypus. Well, good luck for that. Those are, those are rare to come across in their own. Well, they exist. They come from either New Zealand or Australia. Yeah, but they're still they're rare. Like even even to study a platypus is hard to do because they're they're not easy to find. Really? Yeah. Okay. They're not just running around all over. Oh, that's because they messed up. <laughs> I'm such a confused animal. Um, <laughs> Pretty much, got a bill of a duck and he has babies and they carry him around like a kangaroo and it don't jump. It needs to be some sort of contest. I still love y'all down there. Okay. Oh, yes. And we, we love you guys dearly, actually. Um, and we appreciate all of the, the comments and feedback and support. It's actually very, very, it's very humbling, but it's also very entertaining and, and encouraging. So, you know, it's like uh, the day I was on, online and I, every once in a while I'll post something. Hey, if you got some bees you need to get rid of, you know, let me know, blah, blah, blah. Is that guy, why I keep getting these messages from you? Yeah. <clears throat> and this guy, he sent me a email. Uh, he says, Ken, I have a, well, here in Horseshoe Bay, which is here in the central Texas area, they have these big concrete posts, and they build the... They're not even concrete. Well, it's brick, yeah. Well, I mean, it's... It's, it's um, middle is open. It's, it's, it's a beautiful column. Mm-hmm. For a fence, yep. so that the fence rails actually run into the yep. column and then out the other side. Yep. But what it ends up being is they've got they've done one of two things: they either build a square-shaped box, like a post, but it's empty on the inside of it. Mm -hmm. They run that up, and then there'll be anchor points off of it, and they'll put the thin stone facade. It's not even an inch thick, all the way around the outside of it to make it look like it's a solid stone post, but it's not. And then when those posts run into the inside of it, they're basically just setting in the groove, which leaves an opening for something like a bee to get into. Mm -hmm. And when the bee gets into it, that entire inside center of that column is hollow, except for the main stud holding it up. They, this guy got hold of me. <laughs> I called uh, John, John, we're going to have to go look at this and then see how we're going to do this. And you kind of already know what we're going to have to do. But, and, and the guy says, yeah. No money's no object. Uh, just do what you need to do. He was gonna kill the bees. He was. He did. He said, I didn't want to, but he said I was just gonna seal it off and let them die. After seeing <laughs> the pollinators and after having the bees around, it's just something that I didn't want to do that. And so now we're gonna wait till February, and. and I'm gonna learn something from John. <laughs> John says, you're gonna I'm learn all the damn money. I say, That's fine. You're gonna learn to quit posting crap out there asking for free bees. 
Um, Maybe, but no. Yes. I'm going to make you do all of the work for the removal, and you will never post that again. Oh, Max would do it. No. Make you do all the work for the removal so you learn the lesson. Um, they So, again, I don't advocate freebies, period, and I will not do a free removal, and I will not go take them from anywhere, well, and I'm sure as free. hell not. No, I'm, I'm telling everybody it ain't happening. And once... Once you guys get enough into this, if you do choose to go out and do a removal for somebody, like there, there is this, this want and this desire to like, oh, I want to save the bees and I don't want to do this. And these people are saying they have no other choice but to go through and kill them, you know, so I don't want that to happen. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try to rescue them. And you'll get people, you'll get people that run the gamut, especially if you, if you put anything on like Craigslist or anything like that on Facebook um, everybody has the mindset of, oh, but we need to save the bees. We need to save the bees. And here are these bees, and I'm giving you an opportunity to save them. And it runs from, there are free bees. Come and get them. They're in my wall. To, well, but but bees are, bees are valuable. And, like, you know, you should really be paying yeah, me for this opportunity them, no. to get these bees, right? And uh, the answer to all of that is, hell no. Um, it is It is a minimum of three hours of hard work, and it's nonstop work. Once you start everything up and you start going, you do not stop until you're finished. There is no open up a section and go sit down and take a 10-minute break and come back. You get no breaks. You can ask Jorge, ask MJ, ask anybody that's worked for me. When we start, you don't quit until you're done. Now, if you've got two or three people working, you can work in shifts. So if you do need to take a breather or you're overheating or you need water, you can step away and that other person steps in and continues. But the work itself must continue consistently until it is finished. So on your post that you're talking about there, what we would end up having to do, you've got two options. We either do a forced abscond where we chase them out of the inside of the, the container and get them out, hopefully all of them out, and then try to seal up the inside of that container. The other option is to literally dismantle one side of the container so that we can get the comb and everything out of there. And it may end up being more than one side. It may be two sides of it to try and get it all out. Um, preferred method anytime I do a removal is to get the comb out of there. Yeah. The more of it that you can get out, the more comb can potentially be salvaged and used for the other colony. Plus, the resources can then be taken, rendered down, and then given back to the bees as well. Um, but it also makes it less appealing to other bees to want to move in there in the future but that smell is still always there no matter what yep. and it's still on the wood and it's still going to smell like it so then you still have to seal it all the way back up now if the homeowner were to go through there and just say use spray foam or caulking and seal it with the bees inside of it well it's winter time what are the bees getting ready to do they're getting ready to stay inside where it's nice and cozy and eat slowly through mm -hmm. all their food stores and vibrate to generate heat. Mm -hmm. Well, on those nice warm days when it's warm enough they can move around a lot, they have nothing but time and 30,000 little mouths to sit there and chew at that foam and chew at that caulking, and they will chew their way back out. So they're just basically delaying the, the oh, seeing yeah. of the bees if yeah. they were to do that. They wouldn't even necessarily kill them. Now, if you put some sort of chemical inside there, and sealed it up airtight, then yes, the the fumes and the chemical would, I have the hiccups now, would take the colony out. But, you know, that's that's not necessarily a, a good scenario for that either. But yeah, so both the forced abscond, the forced abscond sometimes can feel like more work than physically opening something up because 
your hands get tired. You're you're squeezing the baffle on that smoker almost constantly to keep smoke going in through there. And it's a lot of back and forth and back and forth. And it takes longer because you're not able to just open it up and suck things out and pull things out of there. It takes longer sometimes to chase the colony out. But if you overdo it and you do too much smoke or too much of the essential oils, you can kill them. And so then you end up killing the colony. And sometimes you don't know if you got the queen or if you did. Or, you know, there's all these things. But I, I really ultimately prefer not doing removals at all in the wintertime because those bees, best case scenario is you try to combine them with another colony that has a smaller population mm -hmm. that needs the extra bees. They need the extra bodies to stay mm -hmm. warm because you can't salvage the comb. And the comb that you can salvage isn't going to have any food stores on it. And they're going to be very distraught and everything is torn up and there's nothing out there for them to, it's the wrong time of year for them to rebuild and repair. Right. So it's all basically a death sentence if you do a removal in the winter. And there are some companies out there that'll do it. And uh, I normally don't, but unfortunately it has been nice and toasty out here and we still have calls uh, coming in. Yeah, we still have calls coming in and we've got one that we've got to go do today that I'm not thrilled with, but... Um, Jorge specifically was like, well, let's go through and, and give it a try. And, and he, he has some ideas on things that he wants to try to see if he can make it work. And so I'm like, okay, we'll go out there and we'll do it and, and we'll see how it goes. But be forewarned, <laughs> these are from experience. These are all the issues that you're going to run into and, you know, what could possibly happen with that. So that's usually why we say, can it wait until February, yeah. you know, or March? In some cases, you ask that question like, well, how long? They, they need to be out of here this weekend. They've got to go this weekend. Well, how long have they been there? Three years? Yeah, you can wait till March. <laughs> he, he, he told me, he says, Ken, we're not sure who owns this post. Mm. Okay. Because it has, there's a lady next door has put signs all over it. Uh, live bees, stay away. I'm sitting there. Okay. Well, that makes it even more interesting then yeah, because if you does. don't know like don't somebody's got to know who owns the damn post well, it's, sure it's either do. on his property or her property if it's if it's the separation border between the two but those posts go all the way around his property then it's his post yeah. um, it just happens to be at her fence line but she probably has ran into them or found them accidentally in the bad way mowing or doing whatever and so she's put the signs up there for anybody else you know hey be careful there's bees in here you know um that yeah, that that makes it even more challenging. There's there are so many legalities and, and issues and things that can arise when it comes to removals. One of the things that I got upset about is, and I didn't really get upset. I missed twelve. A guy gave twelve supers colonies away with supers, and I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> now I would have had to go to San Angelo to get them. And he also gave a 918 electric extractor. Extractor. That was really what you were upset about, wasn't it? Yeah, really. <laughs> and then also the 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 big things to drain into. Mm -hmm. The whole his dad was a beekeeper. He hated him because he was the worker. He hated him, and he says he gave it all away. <laughs> And I missed it. 
And that makes me upset. Yeah, well, <laughs> so this this all sheds a little bit of light then, at least on on why, because every now and then, you know, you'll tell me, oh, well, somebody contacted me about this, or somebody contacted me about that, or I've got this removal over here, or, or you know, would you be interested in this? And I'm like, where is all this coming from? But now that you you tell me, well, you know, you've got feelers out there for if anybody has bees that they want to get rid of, and you're not you're not being specific enough on no, 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 if you no, have no, colonies no. of bees inside functional beehives. Well, that's what I tell them now. I said I will take <laughs> yeah. them out of a beehive because I have no, I do not have the equipment to take them out of a tree yeah. or a house. Yeah. I want the, and you, you know, want a the hive. That's what I you want. Came from hives out of. Uh, you you have you have kind of this uh, addictive shopping personality, that uh, I like to buy crap. You like to yeah or or get it. <laughs> you like to acquire. Let's put uh, it that way. You like to who acquire has the things. Most toys when he dies wins. Yeah, and yeah. that's my way. Yeah, you like to acquire things, and you keep wanting to acquire more and more hives. And then um, when I die, you'll have to worry about them. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Max will give them to you. <laughs> I don't know. Then you can become a commercial guy. I don't want to be a commercial guy. Oh, okay. I don't. That's not my. Uh, that's not my plan. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. So we had this. Um, we had this very interesting panel at the convention where it was industry, innovative industry, or innovative business in industry ideas or something like that. I don't remember how it was titled. I remember going, "Why am I on this panel?" Um, but they, they had this panel at the convention, and I was part of it, and, and it was basically um, two commercial one, – one mega commercial migratory pollination service beekeeper, one getting into the migratory beekeeping business and growing, and then myself. And there were questions, you know, like about where do you want your business to go? And like first off was how did your business get started? And then it was where do you want your business to go and what do you want to – you know, where do you want to see it end up and all this other stuff and the innovation parts and, and things came in there on like well how do you do how do you tackle this specific issue or what would you do here or how have you done marketing and all this stuff well it was really funny when we went down the panel and they were like well this is this is where i'm moving towards in my business and this is where i want this to go and they got to me and i kind of laughed and i was like you guys are constantly like bulldozing forward and I have both of the reins wrapped around my arms as tight as I can, and I've got my feet planted in the ground, and I'm pulling backwards. Like, I am resisting growth and change and everything because I didn't start any of this to be a commercial beekeeper. I don't want 2,000 hives, you know? That, that wasn't the plan. That wasn't the goal. I also don't want to travel to California, and I don't want to go pollinate almonds, and I don't want to do all this other stuff. Um, I have a lot of very specific views about some of those things, and I don't want to be that person. I don't want to go, and I don't want to do those things. I want to have just my own stuff right here and kind of focus on that, and there's, there's I'm pulled in so many different directions now that it's it's unreal and it's not funny. But um, well, You're just going to have to learn how to pollinate watermelons and cantaloupes but but that's still a that is still a pollination service i don't want to be in that business okay. i don't want to load my hives up and truck them across the state or the country like that's not the point that's not what i want to do yeah. i make plenty of honey right here i make plenty of bees right here i've got lots now, of different things that i can do you just brought up another idea for me <laughs> now i wasn't done many, talking about me damn how it how many commercial <laughs> guys are in the honey business well, that again, that's on them. 
your friend Tim that you've been talking to. Mark. Or no, Tim. No, I'm is, not talking is, about Mark. Mark ain't Tim, in the business at all. Tim is, um, Tim is a, not. Uh, he's not a right. honey. He's, he's not, not in it in for honey. honey. Whatsoever. He'll tell you that right up right. front. Mark was in it for honey. Well, Mark was in it for honey. Yeah. You know, and you've got different you've got different aspects of it. The honey ultimately is almost when you're in a major situation, like a major corporate commercial pollination thing, the honey is a side product, right? Mm-hmm. And that is used as supplemental income in most cases. Now, if you are say Hannigan honey in Canada, they are in the honey business. They don't, they're not migratory beekeepers. Mm-hmm. They don't travel their bees around. Mm-hmm. They've got 5,000 hives, or at least they did a couple years ago. I don't know where it's at right now, but, um, they have 5,000 hives out of those 5,000, 3,000 of them are always in the honey production mode. The other 2,000 are usually in a state of growing mm-hmm. and they, they kind of rotate through on this, uh, every three year basis. So for them, their hives, they ha- they put 40 hives down on a plot, and each plot is at least two miles apart. And they're spread throughout the entire countryside out there around them. And then they grow those suckers up. Each of the colonies ends up being like 10 boxes tall. they got to have ladders oh, to get to the top box. And then the season's done. They pull them all down. They bring them in. They produce the honey, extract it all out, and, and then they barrel it and ship it. They're in the honey business. So they're selling honey by the drum. And, you know, hundreds and hundreds and millions of pounds kind of thing at a time is what they do. That's where their money comes from. But it's in bulk, which means it's pennies on the dollar for what that honey would be. Um, But that's what they do. And then you've got other people like Tim. Tim is in the business of pollination. And so he travels and he just pollinates. Now, he may end up making honey on accident, but that's not his goal. That's not what he wants to do. And you've got other beekeepers that kind of do like a 50-50 of that. Some of the beekeepers that do commercial pollination, they'll take their bees and they'll go up north and they'll pollinate and they'll go up and they'll do the orchards and the apples and the blueberries and all this stuff. And then they may take them up into the Dakotas and they may do the clover and the wildflower and stuff up there. But then they don't bring that honey all the way back. It costs enough to truck the bees themselves, let alone all that extra weight. So there is major beekeepers up there or even smaller beekeepers up there that have all the stuff. They offload everything there in that state. It all gets extracted there in that state. And the beekeeper that was managing them while they were temporarily there and doing the extracting gets a large chunk of that honey. The rest of it would then be shipped in barrels back down to the original beekeeper. But that beekeeper is long since gone. He took his bees and continued on Mm -hmm. the pollination route. And so in some cases, he's getting paid for that pollination, but he's only making half of the honey off of that because the other half got, you know, was the payment basically to the other person. So there's lots of different things that can happen in there. I know the guy that I'm getting my stuff from, he he told me, he says, Ken, the reason I got out of the uh, the honey business and this is probably one of the reasons he says when it finally came down to it because he had a retail outlet and he sold a lot of honey retail but he says when it came down to where you can't sell it retail then you just sell in a commodity very cheap it is especially if you're used to retail because retail you're looking at for us premium Mm -hmm. You're looking at $10 a pound, mm-hmm. and that's honey weight. That's not counting your container or anything mm-hmm. else. So my little glass hexagonal jars with the beautiful little gold lids and everything, that's a reusable container, and it's a fancy-looking container. Mm-hmm. And so it only holds 
12 ounces honey weight, but by the time you put the container and the lid and everything in it and you put in your prices for your stickers and labels and all that stuff, we sell that 12 ounces of honey for 10 bucks. It's, it's kind of goes back to that $10 a pound type thing. Well, if you're used to that going wholesale and selling those same containers to somebody else who's going to resell them, well, then you sell it in bulk and you've got to cut it down. And, and that right there, especially if you're used to the wholesale pr- or the retail price, that's a chunk out of your pocket. And you, you feel that. So when I turn around and I sell that container for 10 bucks myself, but then I've got to sell it for five or six bucks to somebody else at wholesale, that's already a chunk out. Well, mm-hmm. then if you turn around and you do wholesale in bulk, like huge, where you're just selling it in the massive barrels, you're talking about $1.25 a pound. Wow, that's all? Yeah. And I mean, it, it shrinks down drastically to where, like, if you're looking at the ounce, you're at like 0.16 or 0.32 cents per ounce. Even with my award-winning honey? Even with your wow. self-awarded honey. <laughs> um, it, so, yeah, I mean, it, it is a drastic thing. So that's where it becomes where you have to produce thousands upon thousands of pounds to be able to sell hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of drums to make thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. And then with what he had, he had two of those 97 frame caterpillar things. I don't know what the hell they call it, but it was sitting on The extractor. Yeah, the extractor. It's an extractor. It just lays on its side instead of upright. Yeah, and 97, those wasn't cheap. No, but see, and and this is something, though, that from your perspective, this is the the only individual that you've talked to that Mm -hmm. has something like that. Mm Tim, if Tim were into honey, would have something like that. Oh, yeah. There are, I can name on both hands, mm-hmm. equally, in the state of Texas, oh, yeah. 10 more people mm-hmm. that have that exact same setup. Mm-hmm. That's what you have if you're producing honey well, yeah. in, in a mass quantity. Yeah. Um, so it is the first time you get to see it. It is an amazing process, especially if you can tour one of them and you can see if it's fully automated and how it all goes through and works. It is, it's actually truly amazing to get to, to have that opportunity and see that. But it's this is this is this is this kind of thing. They're all the same once you get to a certain point. They're all going to have the same equipment. They're all going to do the same processes. The motivation behind it, are you in it for the bees? Are you in it for the honey? Are you in it for the pollination? That changes. Um, but the rest of the actual theory of it does not, on the, the process, does not change. So... It's tricky. No doubt. No. And it goes back to, I don't want to do that. That's not, that was not my point, my goal. Well, not mine either, but I still like to look at it. Well, I don't know on that. On I don't know if I believe you on that. No, it's not. No, I don't. <laughs> I, don't I ain't going nowhere. Unless, unless you ain't need, going anywhere. Unless they need it in Colorado. Oh, I'll yeah. take my beast Colorado. Trust me, there are plenty of beekeepers in Colorado. I figure they are too. Um, yeah. You go into some of those stores and you see all of just the local honey that they have yeah, on the I've shelves. And you're like, oh, my God. Um, yeah, there, there would be a ton of competition there for sure. Mm-hmm. There's a ton here in Austin, which is insane. But, you know, it's it, there's a lot of it. Um I did have a gentleman bring me some honey from the El Paso area, mm-hmm. and it was in a mason jar, um, probably a one-quart mason jar. And it, yeah, but um, the El Paso area is in a desert-type surrounding, so yeah. they're not going to have the same plants that we do, so the honey is going to have, obviously, a different profile to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it did taste like it had a lot of mesquite or wajillo to it a little bit, um, but it was... It's a family out there, and I do not remember the name of them, but it's a family out there that's been keeping bees forever. 
and they do not market it. They do not advertise it. They do not have a website. They don't put labels on it. They sell it locally there, and it's basically word of mouth, and people that know them go and buy it, and his family lives down there. So when they were coming back up this way, you know, he knows that I do the bees and everything else, and he was like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna bring you some of this honey, which it, it cracks me up because we get that a lot. People will bring you, like, here, I was, I was in North Dakota, and I found this, or I was in Oregon, and I, I brought well, you this I'm little jar of this, now. you know, yeah. One of my guides. Yeah, and they, they'll bring you gifts and things, and so it's really cool, and I like tasting the honey from the different areas. But he brought me this jar. This jar holds at least a pound and a half, if not two pounds of honey, and he bought it for six bucks. Wow, that's cheap enough. I know. I was like, holy crap. And I said, you realize that right there, that jar here would have been $15 minimum for a size that big. Um, you know, and he's like, yeah, but but again, it's just a mason jar. There's mm -hmm. no labeling on it. There's no nothing on it. And that, that's just how they sell it. And that's how they do it. And that's, you know, that's great. That's what they want to do. I don't know what I want to do when it, when it comes down to some of that. I started off, I just wanted one beehive in my backyard. That's all I wanted. The I rest never of, wanted to, I just want bees. <laughs> well, that's why I said I don't believe you on the uh, I'm not going to be that. You may not load them up and travel and do pollination oh, services with that. them. But as far as the number of hives, you are, you know, I stopped my first year. I wanted one and ended with 13 that first year. Mm -hmm. You're already on that same kind of path. And I was not actively looking for them. You were actively looking for them and asking people for them. I like those 12. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so that, that's oh, my, way, I don't know five, that you're going to hit that. They were five high. Well, that's probably not right. No, I'm sure they were five yeah, high. They but, were his dad. But I don't know. What they, is, but they may have left a bunch it, of them because they have had been dead a few years. Yeah. See, that's the whole, were there actually bees living in them? Were there not? Were the colonies healthy? How old was the comb? How much know. of that crap did you have to scrap know. and throw away? I know another beekeeper came and got it all. Yeah. That is the yeah. trick whenever you get used bees or, or anything from somewhere is you don't know what it's going to turn out being. You just have no idea. So... Just part of it. It is just part of it. Um, that's what makes things fun. Well, it depends. Y'all have to listen to it two or three times. <laughs> Not all of our listeners are as dedicated as that handful that does that. <laughs> it just cracks me up, though, that uh, that it, it ends up, you know, you have somebody that's like, I'm on my fourth time around, and I'm like, oh, my God four times that it, it's easier to do that when we still only have well, 56 episodes but the more episodes we get that's going to become more and more challenging they're trying to talk texan they, they listen to my accent <laughs> they, they're trying to, uh, to get that 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 texan draw they're trying to get the draw in there yeah they're trying to get that texan draw down there <laughs> <laughs> i got something i need to throw out out there yeah does anybody have a recipe on how to uh, sugar cure, but it's not sugar cure. I want to. Do, I want to cure with honey. Cure what? Ham or bacon? See, they knew. What do you cure? You don't cure. You cure bacon or ham. So pig, pork. Yeah, pork. Uh huh. I want to. I want to, cause I sugar cure uh, bacon and ham. There's got to be a way of curing with honey. The, sure, there is. The sugar is what uh, is what, and the salt. Sugar and salt is what cures the ham. So you'd have to have that right 
blend of honey and salt to cure? Well, I'm sure that it could potentially be done, but here is the trick to the honey. Um, Two-thirds to one. Well, no, 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 no. The, the honey itself, though, is hydroscopic. It has moisture, but it desperately pulls moisture. So you, you're you going to end up in this weird scenario where it's going to pull all of the moisture out of the meat. That's That's fine. But as it does that, its moisture content is going to go up. And then when the honey moisture content goes up and it gets above 20%, then it ferments. So you could run into a challenge there. It's not to say that you can't do it. It's just that it could be very tricky in how you have to maintain that. Except when you're smoking. I've seen ham hams just turn plum white with mold on them. But if you're smoking it, the smoke will keep the mold from, from farming. So that's why you leave a lot of your you're cured you, you daddy would leave them in the smokehouse forever you know mm -hmm. they just leave them there so i don't know yeah i don't know i'm how just that... thinking i don't know i'm not and i'm tired right now so i'm, I'm just rattling <laughs> no you're good i just don't know how that would the logistics of how that would work because if it's if it's left open honey pulls moisture even Plus if it's in the, the jar the it pulls moisture from and the, air. the salt are both going to pull moisture true but when they do they they don't liquefy. Like, they pull the moisture, yes, but honey pulls moisture and actually and becomes water. So it, it pulls it in, and that moisture content goes from that below 18%, which is where honey should be, and it starts rising. And when you get above 20, then the natural yeast and the fungus and things inside the honey can actually activate, and you can get this fermentation. It goes above that even higher, and it, it definitely can spoil. So you would end up with a, a very weird thing. Yeah. Plus, honey itself, like the, the sugar and the salt, they stay packed on whatever you're curing. Right. Honey is not going to. It's no, going to, when it's thick, it's going to stay. But yeah. then as it pulls moisture, it's going to run and drip off. And pretty soon there's not anything left on there. So it could be a challenge. But hey, there you go. If you guys, if you know of any way to cure any type of pork, well, ham or bacon specifically, yep. um, with honey, go ahead and, and give us a comment and shoot us a little text out there or something and let us know. Um, I'm surprised with as much as you do online and on YouTube and stuff that you haven't already looked into that. No, I just thought of it. Just now thought of it? Yeah. So there will be another challenge for you guys. See if you can come up with an answer before Ken does, because he loves to surf the web. I'll be, I'll be looking. <laughs> now, there's got to be a way of doing it. How would they have done it back in the day? But they've always had sugar, but they've had honey before sugar. But now honey will turn to sugar. It'll crystallize. Yeah. Yeah. Turn to sugar. But it can also reliquify. The crystallization is a temperature thing as well. So your your fructose and glucose ratios inside there is what causes that. The more glucose you have, the more it'll crystallize. The more fructose you have, the less it'll crystallize. And the speed of which it will do that. When it is cold, it'll all crystallize. And it'll stay crystallized um, in that like above 40 and below 70 kind of range mm -hmm. is where it crystallizes very quickly. Mm -hmm. But if you have it in like a smokehouse or something where it's going to be a little bit warmer... It's going to liquefy because that's how you reliquify honey is warming it. So yeah. there's a lot of challenges and tricks to that. I don't know how necessarily that would end up working, but it's um, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have sounds to figure that out. That sounds like probably a random. That would be a lost segment. Well, that'll give somebody something to do for the holidays. There. There you go. 
So as we when said, it snows in, you can go play with your honey and your ham. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure somebody has done it. I bet you money you have. <laughs> I mean, how about honey ham? That's different. That's honey glazed. Honey glazed. Yeah, that's honey glazed. Okay. That's a that's a different thing. I hadn't had enough coffee. No, I've had too much coffee, but now I'm sleepy because I got up at one o'clock this morning. <laughs> now you have also put your bees, in, or is it your bees, or is it Sheraton's? Bees? Oh, they're my they're my bees. They're your bees. Yeah, on top of the so Sheraton. You have Sheraton Crest here in Austin. You have bees up there now. Yep. So these are motel bees. Hotel. Hotel. Bees. Ain't no motel. Okay. No tell motel. It's a hotel. It's hotel. Hotel bees. <laughs> they are. I, I'm not. Um, I'm not entirely thrilled with their positioning, and it's a. It is an unfortunate, unfortunate, basically setup of how the building is designed mm. and the way the building faces. We can't get around a lot of that, but I sat down with them and had several very stern conversations about all of the potential problems that we're going to see in the spring and in the summer based on where they wanted them. And ultimately I still kind of got overruled on some of those things, but really when you, when you do something like that, if you're going to do rooftop beekeeping, you've got to keep in mind the same sort of things that you do when we went through and we talked about how to set up your apiary in some of those first few episodes, you want to make sure that they've got a westerly block mm -hmm. so that they get shade during the heat of the day and, and the rest of the evening so they can have time to cool off. Um, if you're putting them on a roof, a lot of times the surface of the roof is made to reflect the heat up mm -hmm. and away from it, which is going to then bake a hive. Mm -hmm. And so that's a challenge that you've got to go through and keep in mind and be concerned with. Um, there's a lot more air currents and, and you know storms and winds and stuff can have a lot different effect up in the air on the roof of a building than they would down on the ground. So you got to take those things into consideration. And then you got to take into consideration public safety. And so you don't necessarily want to have them right by the bar or right by the pool or, you know, things like that. And so I told them the best case scenario would be to have to be able to put the colonies on the east side of the building somewhere where they're going to get that early morning sun and then they're going to get shade midday or, or you know, late afternoon and preferably as far away from the pool and the bar and anything else like that that we can get and kind of have them over there out of sight, out of mind is, is more preferred. Unfortunately, though, they want them front and center. They want them to where you can see them. Yeah, so and, they can watch, watch yeah. them watch. And work. so when you come into this building, you're actually, when you enter on the quote-unquote ground floor, you're technically on the third floor of the building. And the lobby, the west side of the lobby, or the south, let me say that, the south side of the lobby is all glass. And if you go up to the fifth floor, there is a glass wall up there and there's a kind of a barrier where you can't get to it because the third and fourth and fifth straight up is just open right there. But you can see the bees on the roof. They're on the fifth floor roof and you can see them through that plate glass window there. And from the lobby, you can just see like the top box and the, the uh, garden copper top to them. If you go up onto the fifth floor landing, though, and you look across the landing at them, you can see the entire colonies. And that was kind of what they want. They want to have it there. And we went through and painted the Sheridan logo on the back of one box. And then the other box is the one that you guys saw the pictures of that have all the flowers and the like a little meadow scene painted on it with the bees. And, you know, that's all fine and dandy. And it's great because they can see it. The downside, though, is if you go outside and you get up on the roof where the bees are, 
They're facing southwest. Their wind block is an easter block, not a westerly block. And their shade is a east and a north block. <laughs> so... In they're the summertime, they're going to get really hot yeah. because the sun's going to come over that building. It's going to beat off of the glass and off of the, the roof, and the, those hives are just going to get super hot. So I'm really concerned about that. And then if you go from beside them, if you go down one level, there is an outdoor sitting and smoking patio right there. And then if you go one level down from that, which is basically just stair-stepping down, that's the outdoor patio for the restaurant. And I told him, I was like, you guys need to know... In the spring, specifically like February, March, and part of April, when the bees are active and it's warm, but there's not enough flowers out there to support them, they are going to be very interested in what is going on at that restaurant. So if somebody's outside eating pancakes and they've got syrup, oh, yeah. the bees are going to be there in a heartbeat. Yeah. And then the same thing is going to occur in late July, all of August, and part of September, when, again, there's no flowers out there for them. The bees are going to be very, very, very active on what's going on down there. And the hotel is like, oh, yeah, but, you know, like, like we've read that there's ways that you can go through and you can train them to go this direction or you can, you can go through and make sure that they've got plenty of food so that they ignore the other stuff. And I'm like, yes, in some regards, that is possible. But, again, it's a wild creature and it's going to go wherever it wants. It's going to send its little tentacles out and tendrils out to find food in all manners of, of places. So it is um, it is going to be challenging. It's really fun and really interesting, and they want to do a lot of press releases and things and be like, hey, look, we're being you know, eco-friendly, and we've got all these green things going on and the garden stuff going on, and, and they want to have the bees be a part of it, and they want to have where we have people out there and we can actually go through and do a press release and show the bees and show all this stuff. And so that's all fun, and it's good exposure, but I, I am just waiting because I, I just know that when spring comes around, I'm going to start getting these panicked phone calls and the only they thing, stung him. well, not even sting him, but this, they're all over down here. And, you know, our guests are worried to be outside because they're all around the restaurant, you know, or whatever. And and it's going to have to be back where I go back and I tell him, I'm like, well, remember when we first went through this and I, you know, I cautioned you guys multiple times. This is what I was referring to. <laughs> I was visiting with Mark. Uh, Mark is the guy that has the commercial bees. He was in the or he was the commercial keeper. But uh, he was in the hotel business, which you knew that, in, in Vegas. He told me that nearly every, uh, many of the large hotels in Vegas now have bees. He said, that's a big thing out there. And he says, it's just starting to get here. But he says in California and out that way, it's a big thing for them to have bees. I'm sitting there, oh, good, because we, we're getting it here, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess it's people just wanting to do the right thing and, you know, help the bees. I do have a, uh, about to finish my BVAC. I'll have one of those here pretty dang quick. So you can go through then and uh, tell everybody what you did and how you did it. Did you take pictures while you were doing it? Kind of, sort of. <laughs> so no. <laughs> I got a picture of my vacuum in my box. <laughs> well, I did mine. I'm using uh, uh, two shallows. A shallow from my bottom, mm -hmm. a shallow from my top. Yep, of the back box, yeah. Yeah, the and then you can put your, put your brood box in the middle. 
Yeah. That's why I'm doing it. That's the one that we use when we do the removals. That is our, our bigger one, and we use it more. Um, it kind of depends on the size of the job, but when we do have jobs that are potentially going to be larger, we'll use that one because it's a really good setup. The The shallows are about the right dimensions for the, the top and the bottom. On the what everybody calls the vac box, we call the containment unit because there's still a separate vacuum that mm -hmm. runs it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I refer to that as a containment unit, but that's just me specifically. But the we have that bottom box on there, and that's where you've got your entry port where the hose connects yeah. on to pull everybody right. into the box. And then there's you know this hypothetical chamber space in the middle to give you the volume. And then the top of that box is where you have your actual vacuum hose hooks onto the top. There should be an air control valve on there so that you can increase or decrease the suction right. and pressure going through there. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, you don't want to go over 20 mile per hour on wind speed because the bees can only fly at about 15-ish. Mm -hmm. And if you get too far out of that, you beat the hell out of the bees. You also want to try to use a hose, like a pool hose, that is smooth on the inside, that doesn't have the ridges on yeah. the inside of it, mm -hmm. so that the bees aren't going to do, 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 do all the way down the hose. Okay. Um, but we use those a lot, and they work out really well. And the nice thing about it is that really the top and the bottom make up the unit, and then you can put whatever sized regular Langstroth yeah. box you yeah, want yeah. In the middle of it, yeah. I mean, obviously, you're constrained to the 10 frame or the 8 frame, depending Mine's on what you're. Frame. Yeah, so you're going to be all 8 frame looking. But if you had an 8 frame shallow, if you had an 8 frame medium, if you had an 8 frame deep, or if you have two mediums, you can put all of that together, and those go in the middle, and then you ratchet strap that down, and that increases that internal volume on how many bees you can hold. Now you can take a 8 frame brood box, put it in the middle. You have screwed two tubefores on the outside. The two tubefores and the eight frame will sit on top of a tin. Then you can drop everything back into the tin and let it sit there, and they won't fly back out because of the tubefores. If you don't do it that way, you have about an inch and a half on each side because it's a tin frame and you use an eight frame. Yeah, um, that sounds like a lot of extra weight and work to me because we haul these suckers up and down ladders and you know like we're we're doing a lot with them so it's already a heavy box to hoist around and move anyway so i'm not going to be sticking any two by fours on mine but i also know if i'm using but an eight frame box ten frame you're not using eight frame right but if i what if i want to put them in an eight frame box it's still not going to fit but see there's ways around that it's very simple i don't use the box that's in the center for me mm -hmm. i don't take that and set that off like they they were originally designed so that you could fill them with frames yep. suck the bees into them yep. and then set it on a stand and put a lid on it and call it good and yep. it would become its own colony mm -hmm. we don't do that cuz mm -hmm. most of ours go into a top bar type setup or even if we are doing a langstroth setup we literally dump the bees into whatever container we want them to be in at the end so i don't have to set it off on the side of that you know on that those two quarantine uh, the quarantine yard when you came in there and put the corneolan queens in there why i've been you know i of course you know i've already ordered six packages of corneolans and i have ordered and here, here I go off on another tangent. Well, that's okay. Uh, it's a listener question episode. We just haven't got to the questions, so tangents I'm are going, fine. I'm, I'm going to order some, uh, uh, just to see, I want to order a couple of hives of Russian hybrids. So, well, so tec technically, <laughs> this is it's messing with me, hmm. the headphone jack. Plug in another one. 
Oh, on the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my you cord's probably, long enough. I can do that. But I think it's the I think it's the adapter. Wire um, adapter. Yeah, I think it's the adapter because I I've got two of them in there and I just grabbed one and stuck it on there. So. Uh, no, Russian hybrids. Oh, corneolans. You technically already have hybrid queens because the the um, at least three of the nukes that you bought were Russian carniolan hybrids. Right. So you've already got hybrids. And on your packages that you bought and you have coming in, you're going to have carniolans. And now you're looking at potentially doing a Russian carniolan Italian crossbreed. Mm-hmm. And that's fine too. Um, you know, there's there's not necessarily an issue with any of that. So, but you, I just wanted you to be aware that you oh, yeah. technically already have a Russian carniolan okay. hybrid already out there. These here, it said Russians. That's what they said. I don't know. So, yeah. Uh, but it, it what got me is it says, well, the corneolans, you have to be at least a three year uh, yeah, beekeeper to to work with these Russians. You need Italians if you're not. Well, so so okay, you mixed three different things in there, um, but you, I mean, you're correct. You were looking at a website specifically that mm-hmm. was talking about we carry three different types of bees. Mm-hmm. We carry a, a regular Italian bee, mm-hmm. we carry a carniolan bee, and mm-hmm. we carry a Russian bee. Mm-hmm. And they said on it, an Italian bee is what you need to have if you're, if you're just starting off and you're a beginner. Yeah. A carniolan bee, you need to be at least a two to three year experienced yep. beekeeper before you have the carniolan. Because they're meaner. No, that's Why? no, it's not. That's not correct at all. Why? And then the last one was the Russian. Yeah. And the Russian, you needed to have five or more years experience, yeah. and you needed to be very experienced with it. And now the Russians are meaner. Okay. So you're correct on the Russian part, but not the Carniolan part. And that's the weird thing where they've got this flip flop in there on stuff. Carniolans are not mean. Oh, not at all. So here's here, we'll. Uh, it will take me a minute to find this, but we I will cut this out. Um, I think it is in my screenshots. Mm-hmm. I have that chart that shows the different breeds. Well, I had, I guess I should say, had that chart. And while we while you're hunting that, I have found bees from New York State. We, um, I have bees from New York. They're carniolans. Well, these are well, <laughs> these will be packaged see, bees. Well, see, look. There's a box of queens from New York. They came from Tucker. <laughs> I Beach. think it's going to come from the, these packages are going to come from the same guys that you got the queens from. Oh no, they didn't. Okay, that that uh, that package of bees was from Tucker Bee, and uh, she she works both in New York and in Florida. And these being these from these were from New York. So. Yeah, they they from New York. They they moved from New York to Carolina to winter, and then they split them, and then they go back to New York. That's how they they do it. This that's how they Mm -hmm. get it all to work. Yeah. So, but they will be corneolans. No. Yes, this bunch will be corneolans. No, that bunch (laughs) is the the Russian (laughs) carniolan Italian crosses. Yeah, that's the one that was a three way cross. That's a three way cross. That that's gonna be my Yankee bees. Yankee bees. Yeah, they're gonna be from New York via South Carolina. Yeah, and again, see that's the that's the fun thing though, and and that's kind of the goofiness of where this all comes from. I understand the concept of what it is that you're trying to do. You want to have these fun things where you can name them, and we can have fun with them on the show. Mm-hmm. And I am all for that. But as you have found, the majority of all the people that are raising the bees right now, all of those bees are coming from like Georgia and Carolina. Oh yeah. And then they, they may be, the companies may be in some of these other states, right. and but then they're turning around and they are reselling them. Um, 
Oh man, I found the photo of them, but I didn't find the chart. Where's the chart? But yeah, you know they're reselling them. They're they're bringing their hives to South Carolina or Georgia. Yeah, they're are overwintering them in places that are way more right. hospitable. Mm-hmm. And then they're they're still like, oh well, you know, we're based in Wisconsin and we're gonna sell you bees. That's why you got that one and you said I wanna say you said it was Minnesota and you were yep. like, I'm getting Minnesota bees and I'm like, Really? Are they coming in July? Because no, Minnesota can't raise bees. <laughs> Their spring starts way later mm-hmm. than ours. So I just kinda curious how that was gonna work out. Um man, I can't find that chart and that that it aggravates me, but so there is a chart out there, and I had it saved on my phone, but basically what it shows you is it's a scale, and it's kind of like how tornadoes have the Fujita scale and earthquakes have the Richter scale. Mm-hmm. Every mark on that scale is an X times increase, like a tenfold increase or five, you know, whatever, up from the one be- before it. Carniolans are a one. They are great mm-hmm. on defensiveness and aggression. It's a one meaning it is the lowest one out there. Mm-hmm. So no, they are not aggressive. No, not Now, at all. they do not store as much honey because they are far better at a winter cluster control, and mm-hmm. the Russians are the same way. They don't store as much honey because they're far better at an overwinter control. So the Italians so they have, will store more honey, but they will eat more honey. But they will eat it very quickly. Like today. <laughs> and here's the, here's the other part of that, too. Your carniolan, mm-hmm. when winter starts ending and mm-hmm. spring is approaching— the carniolans are late to start brooding up and building up, which in reality, if you think about it, especially down here for us, we'll have 80-degree days in January oh, yeah. and then into February. And then all of a sudden, about mid-February, we'll have a week to two weeks where it drops to 20 degrees out of nowhere. Or it'll come an Easter spell and we'll have snow. Right. So the weird little thing there that's going to happen is your carniolans, they're lagging, and mm-hmm. that's okay because they don't start brooding up until March or April, yep. which for us, okay. by that point, blue bonnets are blooming. You've got pollen out there. Mm-hmm. There's a reason to brood up. On your Italians, the trade-off, the reason that people go for the Italian is because the Italians brood up quicker. If you're a commercial beekeeper, that's a plus. They forage earlier. If you're a commercial beekeeper, that's a plus. They store way more honey. That's a plus. The downside, they are a little bit more aggressive than a carniolan, and they're a little bit more aggressive than a carniolan, and they brood up way too quickly. So for us in January, when we have those 80 degree days, they start laying eggs and they start exploding, especially if you start feeding them because they're like, oh, there's food. And they just go to town. And then all of a sudden in February, you have those two weeks of bitter cold and they eat themselves out of house and home because there's not any food out there for them, Mm -hmm. and they burn through it all because they're trying to feed all these babies, and they can literally starve out and die because they ate all their resources too quick. So when I see that, oh, you need to be an experienced beekeeper to have a carniolan, I'm like, no. Yeah, I don't know why you would even think that because that's not the case. And when you talk to uh, the the commercial beekeeper down here that actually was retiring out, he mm-hmm. even told you carniolans were the best. Oh, that's bees that's what he, he ever had. That's all yeah. he uses. That was all he did. That's all he did is carniolans. The carniolan bees are an amazing bee, mm-hmm. but if you are in it for massive honey production, you want the, the carniolan's not going to work too well for you, right? You right. want that Italian bee, and that's mm-hmm. why everybody knows the Italian bee because it's the workhorse that does all this stuff. The Russian bee on the opposite end of that, as you're going up that scale, the Carniolan was the one, the Italian is like the right. two or three. Right. You get up to the Russian, it's an eight. That means it is far more defensive slash aggressive than right. the ones below it. But for us, an Africanized bee is the only thing on the list that is a 10. Mm-hmm. And that 10 is a minimum 
20-fold increase from the 8. Mm -hmm. So it still, to us, makes a Russian bee look like a teddy bear because mm -hmm. we're used to dealing with all these really pissy bees. <laughs> I know. So, the, the, the bunch, you know, the, the two hives that you came up and we re, you requeened them. Uh, the ones that are in the quarantine yard? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had we one was in a nuke we put it in an eight frame the other one was in a ten frame and we put it in a new ten yeah. frame and those are the carniolan queens now from new york yeah. those are the ones that we were just saying they, those came from new york but when we first messed with them they were testy well not really because remember when we oh, first yeah, they got there they wouldn't mean me no, but no, no, now they are so first... much different than what they were right when we first got there though they didn't react at all. No, not really. I had to actually open the top up to make sure there were bees in the and boxes. Yeah, you had to start pulling yeah. the frames out. The yeah. one hive, the 10-frame hive, got testy because mm -hmm. I started shaking all of the bees out of the colony. Yeah, they well, come over and stung me, not y'all. Yeah, so, but that'll make <laughs> that'll make anybody upset when you shake them all out of there. Yeah. So that's that's why on that one. I mean, I wouldn't give them a bad rap on that because no, they were not. They were. Now, the people that, that gave them to you... They attributed them to being very, very hostile, very mean bees. They were getting too close with the mower. They were mowing by mm -hmm. them, exactly, and that's what was actually causing the problems. Mm -hmm. Bye, Eric. Have a great weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was that was kind of the issue there with that. But um, is there anything else we need to update? So, uh, Russians, these Russians I'm going to be getting, mm -hmm. they will be meaner. They will be meaner than an Italian or a Carniolan. So how much less will a Russian not – how much more honey will, say, will a an Italian bee make than a Russian or a Carniolan? Um, I don't have the data to okay. properly well, answer just, that. I'm just thinking. But, I'm wondering. But a notable difference because really? – so your, your Italian and your Carniolan – or your your Italian, Carniolan, and Russian, mm -hmm. the all of them do great at foraging, mm -hmm. and they do great at pulling in the food. Mm -hmm. The difference is the Carniolan and the Russian, they have a way better idea of their size right. and how to manage that size and what they truly need. The Italians just go gangbusters and store whatever they can get. Mm -hmm. But again, they do the exact opposite early, early spring. They go gangbusters and raise whatever they can raise, regardless of how much food they have. So that's the trade-off. So when you do the hybrids, when you take an Italian and you cross it with a Carniolan, right. or you take a Russian and you cross it with a Carniolan, right. what you're doing is you're balancing out some of those defensive aggressive behaviors. You're, so on, on both the Italian and the Carniolan, when, or sorry, I keep saying that wrong, on both the... Italian and the Russian, right? they're more defensive. When you cross them with a Carniolan, you're bringing those defensive numbers down. You're averaging those out and bringing them down. So you're making them more manageable. But then you're also taking the downside of the Carniolan being the fact that it does not make as much honey as the Italian. Well, now when you cross those, you're then bringing also. the Carniolans up okay. to where it's more in line with that. So some of your hybrids can be a good thing. They're, you know, you're, you're just trying to manage the ups and downs and and get you a good balance of stuff in there so and that's how we got africanized bees in texas or well, anywhere I mean, that's how we got them period yeah, yeah then and we talked about that in the last oh, episode yes, you did. know we were it was yeah. we were not we but the universal the we universe, whoever the they guy were was. trying yeah. to do something for the betterment of beekeeping right. and they created the devil <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> so the mean bees that's just how it is mm. Uh, let's you know, see. We don't, 
and the swarms, all the swarms that I messed with. Well, you explained to me that we don't know if they yeah, were you Africanized. Can't, you can't base it on a Not swarm. Not until you put them in a hive and get them up to 60,000 bees. Well, 30, minimum 30,000 is when they're really going to start telling you who, yeah. who they are. But a swarm, you've got two types of swarms. You have a wet swarm or a fresh swarm, mm -hmm. and then you have a dry swarm or an old swarm. Mm-hmm. Wet and fresh means they just came from their colony. They are loaded with food stores, and they're in a fairly peaceful, docile, lethargic mood. Mm -hmm. Once they have been wherever they are for multiple days, they really only have a three-day window. Mm -hmm. And if they're out there for more than three days, they've burned through all of the food stores that they needed to draw the wax. Mm -hmm. They're no longer as docile and complacent now they're a little bit more testy and grouchy mm -hmm. but neither of those things are any indication of the actual normal behavior of the colony that's just i'm having a really bad day or i'm fat and happy that's all that is so you can't even base it on that you have to wait till you get them in that colony and they then have a home that they guard that's when you can tell the difference do they guard it aggressively mm -hmm. or do they just kind of like you know as long as you leave us alone we'll leave you alone we're okay so like the rock hive it was a swarm that you helped us get help you and maxie got and it is now it has made the eight frame its home we have moved it to a different place now. We moved it to the apiary, or over where we got all the hives. And uh, that's an apiary. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's it your is. that's your apiary. It is. And so now it's uh, their home. Everybody's happy. But when we first got them in there, they would beard out front, and we had to put a queen excluder so she couldn't get out. And yeah, and now they're just happy and fat and sassy, and and uh, but. That was a dry swarm. What you would call what you they were they had been they had around been for, for quite long. some while. Yeah, they because we were time. watching ants haul bad dead ones that were dying every day, and yeah, they they had been out there for a while. And you know that was that was part of that whole you know WTF bees episode yeah. where we yeah. we couldn't tell what was going on. That could have been the very first swarm that actually moved into the could barrel and kept bouncing easily. around. And if yeah. that's the case. They were out there for two weeks yep. before they ever had an, an actual home. But now that means that they were actively foraging while mm -hmm. they were in the cluster. They mm -hmm. were going out and bringing back stuff to survive. Mm -hmm. But it's just a, I mean, it's it's a it's a crazy scenario. One little last side note on that. <laughs> Whenever you go through, don't laugh at me. You're the you're the king of tangents, man. Uh -oh. I just yeah. I have mine every now and then. Okay. <laughs> Yours always start so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, uh oh. But it's always a good thing. No, right? no, no, yeah, they're they're good. They're not bad. Um, but the the last little side note on that, when you put the, the swarms in and you never know if they're gonna stay mm -hmm. or go, you know, that's not a representation on any of the beekeepers. No. Also, if you ever do removals, even if they're a simple small removal, say there was an owl box that had some stuff in it and you went through and you did that out of the owl box and you put it into another container, then it's not it's not again, a representation on you if they mm -hmm. don't decide to stay. I, when I used to do my removals into Langstroth boxes, and I would do like we did on the swarm, I'd have the queen excluder on the bottom, set it all up. Mm -hmm. I'd have the comb in there. I had the, my odds at that point were somewhere between 30% to 60% chance that they would stay. They were not great odds. Averaged out, they were like 50-50. You could toss a coin and that colony may stay or may not. When I switched over to doing all of my stuff into a top bar, 
my odds of them surviving and staying went from that 30 to 60 mark up to 85 to 95% of the time they successfully stay and survive. There was a lot of management changes in there. There was changes in the way that I went through and did stuff. It was a big learning curve. But one of the things that I've noticed is sometimes, no matter what you do, they don't care. They're not going to stay. I had that one colony. It was a smaller colony that only had like five small combs Mm -hmm. that they had Mm -hmm. built out. And we did a removal. We took them. We put them into a 10-frame Langstroth. We hooked those combs in there and fed them. And I had the queen excluder on the bottom. Every day for almost a week, they would try to swarm out of there. Mm -hmm. They would ball up in the tree beside the the gated, fenced-in area. Mm -hmm. And then they would come back because I'd do the roll call. The queen queen wasn't there. there, So they'd go back to the colony. Then they'd be piled up on the front of the colony for Mm -hmm. the rest of the day. And they'd finally filter in at night. The next Mm -hmm. day, they'd do it again. They did that for a week. Then they finally gave up, and they stayed. They stayed in that thing for over a month. They drew out two solid frames. They took their comb that we had mm-hmm. put in there and, and extended them out to two solid frames worth and started on a couple of more. They had eggs and brood. They were doing great. So I picked it up and I took that queen excluder off there. Two days later, they were gone. <laughs> I mean, and they, they by all, you know, they were intents and purposes, yeah. they were home. Yeah. But as soon as that queen excluder was gone and they realized mama can get out, they were gone. They they did not. And that was a 10-frame Langstroth deep. That was the yeah, perfect size one, yeah. you know, that they, they would have needed. But to them, they, nope, they didn't want to be there. For whatever reason, it just wasn't ever going to happen. Okay. So sometimes it is not the beekeeper's fault. Sometimes it is the bees' choice. And bees be crazy. The bees be crazy. Yeah. Bees, bees do whatever bees yeah. want to do. Yeah. Now okay. let me. I, now I'm going to take you off on a different tangent. This, we're never going to get to the questions. Oh, we will. We will just. I'm going to be done. <laughs> two, hour, two hours later. Okay. <laughs> Top bars. Now I will warn you. Since how it is cold and we're not going to go visit your bees. I know. I don't have a stopping point. <laughs> okay. Well, I know. Uh, <laughs> Top bars. Why don't we use inner covers on a top bar? Now, the reason I ask that, because I have been looking at these long lanes. They use inner covers on top. Well, that's that's a different purpose for that. So what is, in a Langstroth, what is the purpose of an inner cover? To basically be the shield to, between the weather. And you, you have a, why? <laughs> I'm shaking my head. You guys can't hear my marbles rattling, but I'm shaking my head. All right, so on a Langstroth... Mm-hmm. You have the gaps between the frames, yeah. and they are moving up those gaps to the right. next frames up. The inner cover stops them and seals off all those gaps and provides B space, just enough B space between the top of the frame and the other. It does create an attic between the inner cover and the roof right. or the lid, right. and that kind of you know can act as an attic right. space, and you can have potential entrances and stuff up there. But it's because of the design of the box. That is the whole point of the inner cover is because of the design of the Langstroth box. It it keeps them from drawing comb from mm-hmm. the inner cover up or from the top of the okay. last frame okay. up and sealing your lid down to where every time you pick up the lid, you're, tearing up you're comb. ripping comb yeah. in half because they're filling that void. Because to them, anything that's more than three-eighths of an inch, we should fill with comb because there's a void there. So that's why they designed the inner cover and why it originally created. Now, on a top bar... Your bars are the right. roof. There right. is, unless right. you built them like Lacey. And Lacey has some, Lacey has sent us some follow-ups, so we're going to get to Lacey okay. in just a minute. But <laughs> unless you do like she did and you've got these bars where they cut them too small and so uh-huh. there's gaps between them because they uh-huh. put spacers in there, um, your top bar 
is a solid roof, so you need no inner cover on a normal top bar. Now, when you go back and you talk about the long langs, mm -hmm. and they've created these divisions or inner covers on a long lang, right. that is because one of the upsides to a top bar is that when you open up the top bar, you're only exposing the small little four frame or four bar space that you're doing your inspection at. And as you right. move through things, it stays dark, it stays contained, the temperatures and everything stay more regulated because it can't immediately just go straight up and out, right? Right. Well, if you have a long lang, that's not the case. No, it's You're not. still opening up a minimum of yep. 10 frames at a time, and you're exposing all of that. Mm -hmm. So they've come up with all kinds of ways where you can have inner covers, you can have these top little boards that move around. That's what they You can have the burlap the or the boards. canvas that you can yeah. pull across. And the whole point of that is they're trying to mimic the top bar because on a top bar, it truly <laughs> is solid, whereas okay. on a laying frame, it is not. Okay. So that that's the purpose of that. Okay. And that's why on a top bar, if it is a solid top and you put an inner cover on top of a solid top, you're just not okay, doing now, anything. Okay, <laughs> now, you, now you, here you go. You got me started on something else now. On a migratory cover, which I have migratory covers. I have not used them yet. But on a migratory cover, you don't use an inner cover. Right. Yes, because a migratory cover, um, it sets at the same spot the inner cover word. It doesn't have this, this attic space. It, it sets does. flush it across does. the top yep. of the boxes, okay. and it, it just makes it okay. boom. There's the top of it. Yep. Inner covers are great. Or sorry, migratory covers are great. If you're a migratory beekeeper and you're going to be moving them a lot, you ratchet that down. Mm -hmm. It stays trapped on there, yeah. and it, it just it's easier than a, an what they call the telescoping yeah. top lid. Mm -hmm. And it because it's all just it's exactly the size of the box. It just fits over. It keeps it from sliding front to back, and you ratchet it down, and that's that. And it saves you space when you're stacking stuff. It makes it more of a uniform shape. So that's really all about moving bees. Hence the migratory. Something <laughs> I have noticed is, and we've where where I have my bees, I have a lot of cattle out there, and we have got where we're using ratchet straps hold everything together in case a cow comes along and scratches on them, knocks them over. Right. At least yeah, if they fall over, it, they stay together. Yeah, they stay together. <laughs> they don't bust open. So there's y'all idea if y'all got, if you have your bees where the cattle are. I mean, or, you know, build a petition around them, put up some cattle yeah. fencing or something and keep the cows out of there to begin with. That, yeah. that'll also help. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just the ratcheting. Sometimes it just works really great. You've even mentioned um, on, and again, on some of the migratory beekeeping setups and stuff mm -hmm. so the gentleman you've been getting your stuff from he has pallets that already have anchor hooks on right. them and straps that are permanently yep. attached to the pallet and then he can have his hives on there that's a two-fold thing one it's yes if something does anything they're not going to fall over because they're mm -hmm. ratcheted literally to the pallet but the other part of it is he can stick a forklift under it pick it up move it set it down and ain't nothing going to move or fall no because it's ratcheted to yeah. the pallet yeah so ratchet straps can come in handy if you've got areas where there's larger animals mm -hmm. that could potentially knock it over or try to mess with stuff if you ratchet it together worst case scenario the colony falls over but it doesn't bust apart mm -hmm. everything is still contained um hopefully it will keep them safe until you can get back out there and stand yep. them back up now that does not mean that every backyard beekeeper needs to rush out right now and buy ratchet straps that's not the case if it's in your backyard you're probably fine it's just a precautionary thing that can be done so it's it's not a bad deal no you don't have to buy a ratchet strap just go get you some baling wire wrap around there pair of pliers and twist it up tight oh well what about the duct tape 
duct tape works too. Yes, yeah, that's how. I mean, if you're down here in the sticks, man, you want to do some redneck hillbilly fixing up, and all you need to get you some get red some duct tape, get some duct tape yeah, and some baling wire, and hell, you can fix anything. Hang on, pop. Let me go yeah. out there and get some duct tape and some baling wire, and we're good. I'll, I'll go fix it right up. We can get that old Ford running. All it takes is duct tape and bailing wire. And sometimes, you know, there's a couple of times, and this is honest to God seriousness, <laughs> there was a couple of times that uh, we, we had a really old ancient riding lawnmower, and my dad would give me a piece of gum. He'd be like, here, chew on this till it loses its flavor. And I'd be like, okay. And I'd sit there and chew on it. And well, he'd be like, put it on, keep gas from leaking. Yep. 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 <laughs> on the gas He'd tank. take that bubble gum and he'd <laughs> stick it over. There was, there was a little bitty hole or something. Uh-huh. He'd shove it over it and that gum would harden to like a rock, mm-hmm. but it would seal in, <laughs> in the gas. Yep. So there you go. Bailing wire, duct tape, and bubble gum. That's it. That's it. That's all you need. <laughs> Some weird stuff. Oh, when you uh, get your... When you order something from Man Lake or Date Ant and they fill it full of paper, do you save your paper? I do too. I got a box full of. <laughs> I save the the brown paper that they put uh-huh. in there. I save it because I use it whenever we ship honey. Okay. I take it and I, I use all... it to stuff in the smokers and light my smoker with. That works too. <laughs> yeah, it works good. Yeah, that works too. Um, I do it for uh, like taking it and I wrap it around the jars of honey and then put that into the boxes and stuff or use it to pad up the space. Um, my, when I ship honey out, it is probably way overboard on, uh, all the packing that I've put into it. Cause I just have this fear of like the jars clanking and breaking or something. And I'm like, it's, it's overly done, overly cautious. I'm going to go pick up those, uh, double, ha- uh, double nukes boxes here before long. And then John says, what the hell did you bring that up for? <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, I just thought I'd throw that well, in Well, that, that'll be something that in the spring we can go through and show some pictures and stuff of. It's a box. Um, it's a Basically, it's a 10-frame Langstroth box that has a divider down the mm-hmm. center, and it's purposefully made to where it will hold two nukes. Mm-hmm. So two, like, four-frame nukes because that divider takes up some space. box on the bottom. Well, did it stop there? Okay. Yeah. So it's just the 10-frame box. You've got the divider in the center. Yep. It holds four frames on either side of that divider, so you can create two four-frame nukes that share kind of the same space, and they can share the heat from each other. And then on one side is an entrance for the one nuke, Mm -hmm. and on the opposite side is the entrance for the other nuke. Mm And that's the basis of that box. That's the unique part of it. The bottom board is also built to where the entrances can go the opposite directions on it. And then it'll have basically an inner cover and a lid. Um, His inner covers are built to where they actually have the feeders that you can put a jar above each of those individual nukes and then put another box on top of that to cover the jars and put the lid on it. But that is designed so that you can have still a 10-frame box, but you're raising two nukes at the same time in that box. And again, they're sharing the heat from each other, which helps keep each other warm. And it's kind of just a a save space version instead of having individual nuke boxes where you can go through and raise bees. Another version that you can do with that is the inner cover. They have a double-screened cover where it's about an inch thick on the wood. And then you put holes in it almost like you would for the jars to go through, but you have screen on the top and screen on the bottom, and it creates a void in there of about an inch mm-hmm. that allows the heat to rise up, but the bees can't even like get to each other to go through and, and touch each other. And what you do is you have one box of bees or one split on the bottom, then you have that double-screened divider, 
then you have another box on top of that, and they're completely right. separate colonies, okay. and the heat can exchange between them, but the pheromones don't exchange because the bees aren't able to touch each other and, and exchange food, and you do the same way, where the entrances are on opposite sides of each other. That's another kind of version of how that can work. His aren't designed that way, but... Um, those are fun things for the springtime, though. Yeah, that's something. And then he's got a hundred, hundred of these. And we're not John buying says, hundred of them. Hundred of them. <laughs> we're not buying a hundred of them. <laughs> John keeps saying, "Stop spending money, Ken." Because we would be having to come split y'all's hives. Oh gosh. And now, now you're see. There you go, volunteering me to go do work. Speaking of, I actually have to go do work. Okay. Got to go cut these bees out of somebody's house. Yay. Split them. <laughs> You can't split them. It's too late. Too late. To be it's too late in the year. It's too okay. late in the year to honestly be doing the removals. I don't even want to do that. Um, I really, I was, I was adamant on the nope, 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 nope. Let's wait. But let's wait. Mama, let's wait. But the mama says yes, 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 yes. Well, I didn't. I could have probably pushed the client into waiting until February or March. They're on the second floor of their house. They're not anywhere near where they're actually going to hurt anybody. Um, but they just, they want them gone and they think that now that it's getting close to winter, that it's a good time to do that, but it's not, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not going to fare well for the bees, but Jorge is a learning experience. He wants to try it. He wants to see how it goes. So I'm going to, we're going to go out there and I'm going to supervise and I'll let him do it and we'll see. And that's the reason this, this bunch of bees that in that post, I know you need to get gone. Because the guy, he said on Facebook, he's going to kill him. I says, no, don't kill him. Let me look at it. And that's why I did it. Yeah, but that's also why they say on Facebook that they're going to kill him is because they're uh, a lot of times. Now, in this situation, I know that that money is not an issue for this individual. But not at all. Um, a lot of times that, well, we'll just have to kill him is because they don't want to have to spend the money to actually remove them. They want to they want to look like they're doing the right thing and they want to, quote unquote, save the bees. But if they have to spend more than that seven ninety nine for that can of Raid, they don't want to do it. And then they'll they'll try to guilt people into that. They'll go back to that. Well, you know, you're just going to leave us no choice but to do this. Well, no, sir. I did not leave you any choice. You're the one making the choice, not me. Don't try to make that sound like that's all my fault. That's how that goes a lot. And you run into that a lot when it comes to this kind of stuff. And then you just got to kind of harden yourself to it and understand that it is okay to say no and to have borders and to, you know, morals and standards that you hold yourself to very rigidly and uh, don't cave in every time somebody tries to guilt you into to doing something. Trust me. I had to learn that one the hard way. I had to learn how to say no. Also, don't give your honey away. <laughs> That's another one that when you first start off, you want to share and you're like, oh, here, try this. It's really good. You know, and you want to give it away. I'm going to be putting stuff in it to make it yep. taste different. That's uh, but that's that's like Tara said, you know, she's like, don't give your honey away. Don't give anything away for free, because at that point, if it is your business, if it's something that you're doing, you can't afford to give it away for free. It has a value to it. You put a lot of hard work and yeah, effort I'll into bring it. You some pecans, but you'll have to buy them. I have a bag of pecans that I did not have to buy. I've got nine trees that I got pecans on it. I don't have to buy them either, but I was going to bring you some and give them to you. <laughs> give them to me for a fee. <laughs> no, I, uh, a couple of my consultation clients actually have pecan orchards and they sell, they, they sell them by the bushels. And, uh, you know, they, they were in massive bushel bags. Yeah. Yeah. Massive. Yeah. Um, and oh, I, you have the big, I got a bag. Full. <laughs> Look how pecan are they? Uh, I don't know. They're the hard shell. They're not the paper ones where you can crush the them with the two shell? together. Then they're little bitty. No, no, no. They're big. They're big. They're that big. 
but they're not they're not the paper shell where you can put two of them and smash them in your hands. They're a harder pecan. You know why they're hard? Because a harder pecan is a will keep longer than the paper shell. The paper shell, you probably already knew that. But any of the paper shell will get older quicker. Yeah. But I'll quit there because you need to get the hell out of here. <laughs> All right. Well, um, John's got to go kill bees. I'm not killing bees. He's just trying to save them. Well, I'm just doing what the client wanted me to do. I'm going to go supervise while Jorge takes them out of the roof of this house. And um, and then we will try to find a way for them to survive, which means they're probably going to have to get combined. Feed the hell out of what's no, going on. They're going to have to get combined with another colony. They're, they're can't, we can't take them out in December and put them into their own box and have them live. It just won't work. They're going to become extra population for a colony that needs a little so help. you're going to have to get the queen, pop her head off, dump the bees into another box with a queen, and hope they don't fight. Yeah. Are you going to do the newspaper thing or just dump them in? <laughs> See, I already learned you. I've been listening to this, too. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, because the newspaper thing would be the correct thing to do. Right. Um, but I do have a colony that I am highly suspect that they don't have a queen, and it was a former removal colony, and I thought they had her when we first put her in there, and everything was looking pretty good, but then we, we haven't seen any brood. Um, off over to the side, we went over there, we looked at the colony, we, we thought that she was there whenever we did the removal, we put them in there, everything's great. Um, they didn't build any new comb because it was already late in the year, but... They had repaired the comb that we had put on the bars, and they started doing some food stores, but I never saw brood in there. They never acted like they were queenless, and they never went laying worker, but I've never laid eyes on the queen, and I never saw brood. And now, the last time when we did the final checks, they had zero food stores in there. Really? And I'm like, well, okay, so still, no food is also a reason to have no brood. And they're still not acting like they're queenless, but I'm not sure. So if we go through and we do this removal and we get this queen, my thought is actually to combine those two together. No put newspaper. Put queen in there. It would just put it all in there together and see what ends up happening. And that's Jorge. <laughs> He's getting a text. Jorge's his hired hand. He's sitting there. Where the hell are you, boss? Yeah, that was actually exactly. He was like, so you said you were going to get back to me this morning on the timeline. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, let me know. Um, we have to wait until it warms up a little bit. So I told the client noon is kind of colder than hell in this in the, studio. In the studio. It's 64 degrees. Um, it's warmed up four degrees. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyhow, so that that would be the plan. Try to combine okay. those two things together, and and hopefully, if the one that we get today does have the queen and the extra bees, we put the two together. I can feed them as we looked at the weather earlier. I can feed them a little bit, and uh, we'll see what happens. But. A lot of times, it's just a no. I mean, it just doesn't work out doing the removals in the winter. I don't know. It should be something that's fun, but also benefits the show. Like a fun slang term or kind of like the hive jive junkies. That was one of the listeners had come up and, and said he was a hive jive junkie. Hive jive junkie. I kind of like that. I think that might be one of our first shirts is a hive jive junkie. And, like uh, yeah, so I think we might do something like that. So we need, we need something and I don't want to, I don't want to like isolate people either because I'm really tempted to be like, send us like a drawing or, or a graphic design of something that we can use. But at the same time, not everybody is artistic like that, but anybody can come up with a fun, clever kind of quip or saying, um, 
So we could do that or we could do something else, um, you know, where it could be like a, you know, make sure you follow us and then send us a, a message or, you know, tag a friend. Um, follow hmm. us, but don't stalk us. <laughs> you stalk us all you want. No. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Like that. Uh, no, 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 that works just fine. That's that's perfectly great. So there you go, guys. It has been another bonus episode of Random Clips from the year 2019. Thank you, everybody, again, for tuning in, for joining us, for following us on social media, for Instagram, Facebook, you name it. For those of you who maybe have not followed us yet, you can do so at The Hive Jive on both Facebook and Instagram. And go ahead, start sending us in listener questions, start sending us in thoughts and comments that you might want to hear next year, and we will get those in the show. You can send those emails through the social media links as well, or you can send them an actual email to us at info at thehivejive.com. And that email will come in and we'll be happy to go through and get those on a future listener question episode or maybe just work it into the show. But again, thank you guys for joining us. This first year has been absolutely amazing. We've had way more love and feedback from everybody than we ever anticipated. So many great stories, so many touching stories from listeners out there that I would have never expected to get talking about bees. Yeah, that was. Um, that, we've had several of them. Well, I know. Yeah, we've but, had several people yeah. that, um, you know, had, had if some... If we can make your life better, thank you. Yes, absolutely. Like, it was not our intention, but we are so glad that we could have been there to help, and it's very humbling. And we do have a nonprofit. It's, no, we don't. <laughs> I was going to come up with... So apparently, um, coming in 2020, the Hive Jive Foundation, a nonprofit to go through and support bee education and bee projects out there, something that will be coming down the road as well as... Uh, what do they call it again? It was something that everybody told us we needed to do, and I've compl- I always blank when it comes to the name of this stupid thing. I don't know. It must not be stupid, or too many it's people not, told no, us. No, to no, do no. It. It's not stupid. I just always forget the name. Um, you never told me as a secret. No, I did tell you. So you you didn't tell me, and you kept it to yourself, and now you forgot. <laughs> That's like me, and I have the cure for cancer, and I forgot it. I was going to tell the world. And he went to sleep, and, <laughs> and that I was went it. went to sleep, and yeah. No. Yes. No. Okay. <laughs> I can't think of it. <laughs> Patreon. 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 We will have a Patreon page up for 2020 as well, so that those of you who have, have said that you guys wanted to, you know, be able to support the show, um, you know, because as you have said, we needed to get some sponsors and stuff because you seem to think we need to do this, like, weekly, if not daily. We're already doing it not weekly. Not doing it daily. Daily's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can maybe do some extra little things in there and, and have some fun stuff. So we will end up having Patreon out there, and Patreon will bring with it some extra fun things for people that are Patreon members. It'll give you guys an opportunity to go through and help support the show in, in however way you would like to do so. And then we're going to actually have some fun merchandise coming along in 2020 as well. And those things will be very cool. Um, we're, we've been I've been working for a long time trying to figure out what the hell we were going to do and what it was going to look like. Um, but I think the, uh, the Hive Jive Junkies is going to uh, make its first appearance. And we'll have that out there for any of the listeners that might be interested in that as well. So many, many, many big things coming up in 2020 as well as a... 
new revamped version of the website where it's uh, we're going to add in some extra columns and things in there. We're going to use a little bit of this break time to go through and kind of upgrade some things and add some extra pages and stuff to it. So add a little bit of depth and everything to the show, add some columns and articles and things in there as well. So that's also coming up to look forward to. So many, many big things out there. And again, just our humblest gratitude and appreciation and thanks for everybody who has listened to us this year. So if they start donating money, does that mean I don't have to sit on the street corner with my dark sunshades and go alms for the poor alms for the poor i quit that now oh it'd be wonderful y'all do that come on i'm i'm getting tired of that that might have to be one of our videos of why you should support us on patreon we'll have a video of ken out there alms for the poor what the hell is an alm i don't know I don't know. All right, everybody. Thank you again for tuning in. Thank you for a wonderful year, and we will see you next year. Don't get stung. See y'all. Be good. (laughs) Be safe. Bye. You've been listening to The Hive Jive. We appreciate you joining us on our beekeeping adventures, and you can find out more information about today's episode online at thehivejive.com. And as always, thanks for listening.